welcome to season three of the Chai Break podcast. We're excited to engage in more inspiring chaiversations around our cross-cultural experiences. This season, we're diving deep into an often gray area and a taboo in our culture, mental health and well-being. So join us on our mission to break the barriers and get comfortable in those often uncomfortable spaces. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Chai Break Podcast. Hi, Rama. Hi, Shweta. How's it going? It's going good. It must be freezing there, right? It's, it's, it's crazy. It's so cold here. It's crazy. I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm in Cleveland, if uh, the audience have not heard about the transition. But um, it is freezing here. I tried to take my dogs for a walk um, just now before this uh, podcast recording. And I just fell right on my back flat on the floor in the snow oh my and skipped, <laughs> slipped on I slipped on ice and uh, I think I just I, I'm fine you I'll know tomorrow if something really oh my God. <laughs> has changed uh, so it's freezing yes Cleveland is freezing people yes. but, New York um, is freezing too wow yeah. yeah but it's it's all good and because you know this episode makes it worth it all. So um, our guest for today's episode is someone who's forging a unique path bringing her passion for mental health and movement together, something that is just so beautiful, like combining mental health and well-being and dance. So let's, uh, we're going to talk a lot about it. Let's welcome Dr. Monica Shah. And before we dive in today's uh, chivization, I'm going to say a little bit about Dr. Shah. Um, Dr. Monica, Dr. Monica Shah is a licensed psychologist and certified school psychologist based in Manhattan. She specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy and rational emotive behavioral therapy and we'll talk a little bit about those for individuals across any age range families couples and groups uh, dr shah brings these evidence-based practices to schools and communities through workshops and writing serving a mission to increase access to mental health care She's also actively engaged in advocacy efforts to increase equity in her field, and she is committed to serving underrepresented groups and targeting systems-level issues. Dr. Shah's research and clinical interests include the use of mindfulness with special populations and acceptance-based cognitive behavioral therapies. Dr. Shah is also a part-time professional dance artist. Uh, that's so amazing. And we're going to talk about that too. And she performs uh, with classical and contemporary Indian styles. She has trained in Bharatanatyam for over 30 years with complementary work in diverse movement forms and has performed as both a soloist and guest artist in dance productions across Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, Ottawa and New York. Dr. Shah is currently creating dance work to highlight and normalize mental health issues and is involved in initiatives that use the arts in healthcare to promote social justice. This is just so fabulous, Monica. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I am just so delighted to, you know, as I'm reading your bio, um, it's, I, I'm getting goosebumps because you're doing something that's so fascinating. You're combining like mental health and well-being and dance forms and you're you, you know, you're, you're professional at both these aspects. And I truly think that movement is so fundamental for mental health, well-being. And um, I've been trained in Bharatanatyam as well. This was many moons, moon ago. So for me, it's I'm. Uh, it almost feels like through this conversation, I'm going to vicariously live that <laughs> this dance side of me. So this is wonderful and welcome to our show. 
Yeah, in fact, uh, this actually, Monica, takes me back all the way to the time, uh, you know, me and you met. Huh. So for <laughs> our listeners, we actually met at our common NYC dance group. It's a Bharatanatyam meetup group that we met at. And uh, I remember us briefly, you know, talking and I knew what Monica did. And so when we were, you know, crafting our season three, I was like, wait a second, I thought she did something to do with mental health. <laughs> so yeah, it's so exciting to have you here, Monica, you know, and uh, get to know you on the professional side, you know, after uh, interacting with you on the dance side of things. Mm-hmm, that's right. No, I'm very excited to be here. I was so happy when we connected and started talking about this. So yeah. thank you yeah. for having me. Mm-hmm. So before we dive in, you know, to the meat of this episode and all of that, we'd love to learn about your path to choosing your career and the influences and inspirations surrounding it. Mm -hmm. And uh, what really drew you towards, you know, becoming a psychologist? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, my path was a a bit of a winding one. Um, I really didn't always know (laughs) what I wanted to do. I applied to my undergrad as an undecided major. And um, I, I remember taking my, my first year psychology class and loving it. Like I just found it fascinating learning about people, human behavior, kind of the way that we work. Yeah. And so that was like my first kind of, you know, interest. Mm-hmm. I also, um, you know, had danced since I was little and I was in a dance company um, in Toronto uh, throughout undergrad. And so that was always a very big part of my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Another influence actually was, um, my mom is a teacher. And so I had always been around, you know, education and I'd done a lot of volunteer work in her schools. And I always worked with the kids that, um, were struggling with learning or behavior. And that was the work that I really, really loved. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I first did my, uh, my master's in school psychology, which was really bridging together psychology and education. Um, and then I worked as a school psychologist for five years in British Columbia. And at the same time, I was uh, building up kind of my, my solo work as a dance artist while I was there. Mm. And after doing that, um, I just felt like I wanted to move more into therapy and intervention. And so that's what brought me to New York mm-hmm. to doing my doctorate here. And um, I loved just the process of learning during my doctorate, such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just my dissertation was so interesting to me. I did it in uh, mindfulness-based interventions for kids with autism in schools wow. And so it was just like bringing together like a lot of interests. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I am doing therapy. Um, so I'm a licensed psychologist. I do therapy, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. with you know people across across the age range, um, and then also families and couples and some group work. Mm. And I'm now kind of bringing mental health themes into my dance work as well. Um, so that's been a really interesting process. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. You have some exciting stuff that you just did. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm also just really passionate about just that increasing access. To access. Mental health. Yeah. I think that's uh, so critical. Yeah. Dance mm-hmm. therapy seems to have such a great value. And I've been reading about that as well. And I know somebody else who's also um, doing that. It's so fascinating mm-hmm. trying to he- use movement and to affect mental health. Uh, you mentioned about your dissertation and I'm, I'm you know, you have a another nerd uh, in the scene here. Uh, so <laughs> that's piqued my interest on that whole topic. So you mentioned about mindfulness um, in kids uh, with autism. And, you know, that is, it's not just kids with autism. I think mindfulness in kids is such an important um, topic because mm-hmm. I think we're looking at some uh, mental health, almost like I would say an epidemic that's happening with, with kids these days, the younger and younger age groups are being heavily affected mm-hmm. um, with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And having, you know, having a daughter of my own, having like two sons and Shweta, I'm sure she has, um, you know, she's dealing with um, her mm-hmm. her challenges. Yes, definitely. Um, with, with, Dia. Uh, with yeah. Dia and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, what are some of the um, advanced, I, I mean, I'm sure this is probably a question that should be asked later, but because we talk about mindfulness, what are some of these techniques? Are they being, in? Uh, are, have the schools taken it into, you know, adopting some of these mindfulness techniques or what are the obstacles or challenges that we seem to face in having schools adopt these techniques? Because I I do hear a lot about it and there's been a lot of talk about it, but we've never seemed to have found um, a routine or a practice that's being adopted in schools Mm -hmm. on this topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's such a great question. Um, So, I mean, first off, it's being done in different schools, districts, like it's varied for sure, you know, like with different levels of focus, consistency. Um, Some schools are not doing uh, that kind of work. And I think one of the, the main barriers just having worked as a school psychologist is schools and teachers and, you know, educators, they're so overstretched, you know, there's so much that they have to do. And so sometimes, even if we know something will help, you know, in the long run, having it be a sustainable practice in schools and kind of getting, getting people on board, both, you know, the, the frontline people, but also, you know, the district people, it can be challenging because there's so many things that they have to balance. And Mm -hmm. it's, that's, I think the, the main challenge. Mm -hmm. I see. Interesting, yeah. because I still remember there's a quote by Dalai Lama, I think he mentioned uh, that if every kid is taught uh, meditation before the age of seven, there would be uh, no violence in the world. Right. So yeah. it really has a huge impact. Thank you so much for that question. Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. a very important skill for sure. And there are mindfulness-based curriculums out there. Mm. Um, where I trained, um, there's a program called Mind Up, and it's just really, there's a lot of really great resources out there. So that's actually part of the work that I'm trying to do as well as oh. getting to schools. Yeah, yeah. I actually, so this very interesting thing I read on your website and uh, I quote, it said, at one point I felt completely lost. Societal expectations, decision anxiety and fear of making a wrong move paralyzed me from moving forward on my path. Mm -hmm. Through releasing those chains and leading with curiosity, I build a life that fulfills me beyond my imagination. 
just talk us through that time and those emotions that you went through. Yeah, yeah, no, that was, we're kind um, of switching roles here. <laughs> okay, um, just kidding. <laughs> that, um, yeah, that was that was a tough time, and I honestly, I see a lot of young adults, adults coming in, um, my clients these days with the same challenges, where it's like, what is the right move? You know, mm-hmm. what is the what route is going to lead to things working out? And there's this this kind of um, pressure that we put on ourselves to figure it out. And, um, you know, we're so blessed to have all these different options available to us. You know, many of us are, some of us are not. Um, But something that comes with that is this kind of, you know, decision paralysis. So for me, part of my feeling lost was having these, like these two areas, these two passions, dance and psychology. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, see a way to have them both in my life. And I also had no idea like where to start or how to, how to create, um, you know, the life that I wanted. And, you know, on top of that, um, dance and psychology are both not common career paths for South Asian people. Yes. Right. So in (laughs) retrospect, I, I was like trying to figure this out on my own. And I was I remember going into the career center at the University of Toronto after graduating and just spending hours (laughs) trying to research and figure out what I wanted to do and how to get there. So that was really challenging. Just like it was scary to not know Mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so one of the things that helped me um, was deciding to just jump and start, just start somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. So I didn't necessarily know that, you know, school psychology was the thing for me, but, um, I was interested enough in finding out. And then I also, with the dance side of things, I had gone to a dance residency in India and that was really pivotal for me because I realized, oh my gosh, people, people can do this. Like you, you can do this, you know, professionally. So, um, doing my master's first rather than going straight to a doctorate was a way to kind of balance, you know, try to kind of build up dance while I was doing psychology. Mm -hmm. And so since then, I've really just been trying to lead with my interest, my curiosity and things. Like if I'm excited by an opportunity, I'm like, all right, let's apply, you know, let's see what happens. And so that attitude helped me move from that fear mm-hmm. more into that like curiosity and interest and listening to that, you know, that like instinctual feeling of just like what feels right yeah. for you to do. So yeah, that was my process. That's wonderful. Cause I think many people wouldn't, uh, I mean, I'm so many of us, I'm saying us because um, although we're all doing something professional wise, I think there's always this, you know, what is the perfect, you know, career fit? What is the perfect thing that we would do? We're always seeking something. Mm. Um, I think trying to fulfill a certain, the perfection of of doing a certain role. And I don't Uh, think uh, most people can like mix the two, you know, mix both your like, yeah, what you, your purpose, your passion and bring it all together and like forge a path. So Mm -hmm. for people Mm -hmm. who can find that, I think it's, it's such a blessing. It is. I, I, that's the thing. I don't know if you really find that, but you know, it's it's a process. It I think you're a, always yeah. discovering, even till the very end. I think right. you're just fin- finessing the process. 
Yeah. Um, I was just going to say that, that it's, it was actually a lot of hard work to, <laughs> you know, to, so it wasn't falling into it. It was jumping, seeing what happens and then just like working and yeah, yeah. more opportunities come from that. So, um, I mean, just growing up in a South Asian community that you have that is bound by expectations, like from family, society, and those of your own. Ran, you just said, like, you know, you also said that, um, you know, it's not the most common career choice for a South Asian uh, woman going into this profession. So how does this kind of affect one's mental health? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, something that we talked about um, earlier in our conversations was this balancing of um, collectivist values and individualist values. Mm-hmm. Just as a little primer, um, mm-hmm. collectivist values are very focused on family, community, group harmony. Right. And individualist values are very much more focused on the individual autonomy, freedom, independence, mm-hmm. right? Often many Asian-based cultures are seen as collectivist and many kind of Western North American cultures are seen as individualist. So that can be just in itself, right, as a base that creates a lot of different conflicts. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's especially for um, when people move to North America um, and, you know, my parents moved to Canada. Um, This kind of goes for the U.S. as well, that uh, there's this idea of we want to come here for better opportunities for our family, mm-hmm. for better opportunities. And within that, though, there's this 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 different cultures that end up clashing that mm-hmm. I don't know if that's always anticipated. Um, so that can bring up, uh, that can definitely bring up some different challenges. Like when you're kind of growing up within both cultures mm-hmm. and um, exposed to both sets of those values. Yeah. And especially in adolescence, um, adolescence is a time where your your peers become very important to you. And that really shapes identity development. It shapes um, who you're going to end up being in the world. And then your sense of developing your identity can conflict with um, that pull of cultural expectations, familial expectations. But then also you have this desire to fit in with your peers. And so that creates a lot of conflict as well as, um, you know, academic expectations that might come up, expectations to, you know, responsibility to your family, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is such a huge challenge, what you just mentioned, uh, Monica, because I think that's one of the uh, crux of our conversations as well with Shweta and I, and yes. we are probably past the age of ident- trying to identify what is it that we want to do in life. And although we're figuring out in a whole different way, but, you know, education wise and stuff, we, we primarily did in, in India and then we moved here and we are, you know, we've, we've gone through this whole transformation process living here for so many years. I've been here for more than 20 years and almost practically this is my home, mm-hmm. but then there have been this deep seated cultural um, norms and expectations on how we grew up and mm. to to get kind of change and to become who we are here. The same collectivist and individualist values still is, you know, we've, we've had to kind of try to mix weave, the two almost. Mix the two, almost weave our way into, yeah. the, you know, between these two values and yeah. ultimately realize, you know, I, I like a little bit of this. I like a little bit of that. 
And this is who I am. It's like a mix of this and this is what I choose to Mm -hmm. want to believe in. This is what I don't. I've been believing in it for 10 years. Now this is not my time. I don't do it. So we've, we've literally in the same scenario, like you mentioned, but I can totally imagine somebody growing up here. Mm. um, And also like like our our kids, kids. (laughs) like our kids, they're going to grow up here and we're, we're exposing them to a lot of this collective's views mm. and trying to also give them the freedom mm. to choose their individualistic values. Right. And I can see how our heads butt. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And uh, it is just an area where all of us, irrespective of age, are falling into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, we moved and we were trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then we had kids and then we were just like, oh, okay, now what? You know, <laughs> so it's just yeah. the whole process yeah. has just been like, each year with every age, we're just like figuring it out. And, you know, like, yeah. yeah. It's almost like blind leading the blind sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I would like to say that I know really well about, I figured it all out. I'm, when I'm trying to raise the, the kids, I'm already, I'm trying to figure it out with whatever little knowledge I have. I'm, I'm using those tools yeah. to help the kids. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's like the perfect job, but the struggle is just a continuum. It just goes on. Mm-hmm. And, that tension. It's yeah. so hard because we can get caught between you know what we want what we feel our obligations are and sometimes it's even hard to figure out mm-hmm. what do I want you know within that veil mm-hmm. what should I do yeah um yeah so it's a very difficult tension to hold and you what about your family how did you you know what was the dynamic like and you know how did that work Yeah. You know, I will say um you know I've been very lucky to have parents who have been supportive of me, what I want to do. And I realize not everybody has that, that privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they moved to Canada. Um, they actually met in Canada as well. Okay. And, uh, I was born in Toronto and what I realized is they really were trying to have us have the, the experience of living in Canada as well as being connected to our Indian culture, mm-hmm. you know? So they were kind of exposing us to all these different things that um like I remember going to I don't know like library community events teddy bear picnics like you know (laughs) going on all these trips like exploring the U.S. um going to amusement parks seasons passes so we were just like really immersed in the culture that was in Canada Mm -hmm. and we also had our culture our Indian culture that Mm -hmm. we were exposed to at home Mm -hmm. um so I feel like Within my family, I mean, even within that, there were some tensions, right? Mm-hmm. Growing up as an adolescent and, um, you know, those things around like, oh, no, you got to studies first. You know, that's what you have to focus on. Uh, you know, no dating, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so these kinds of things would definitely come up. Wow. Yeah. So in our conversations, you were mentioning about, you know, some research that your peers have done about risk and resilience mm-hmm. factors specifically to South Asian populations. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've been talking about these different tensions that can come up um, when you're living between with between and within two cultures. So the the pressures that could come up, familial or cultural, academic expectations. And so because of that, 
South Asian populations do have an increased level of stress potentially, which can then increase risk of mental health issues. You know, there's some other, some certain very specific pressures that could come up as an example. Um, So if you're um, in the LGBTQ plus community, and this is an identity that you are realizing and holding, it can be hard to um, potentially feel like you're not able to be your full self. And, you know, that can come up in other contexts too. So there's a lot of these stressors that can increase risk for South Asian populations. And I'll just um, cite a statistic that Asian Americans as a whole, um, ages 15 to 24, they have been found to die from suicide more often than any other cause of death, which is really, yeah, very sad. Mm -hmm. And South Asians in America, they do have a, a lower of suicide attempts and completed suicides compared to um, other Asian Americans. But, you know, there are still these pressures and expectations that can lead to um, mental health symptoms, depression even. Um, And then combine that with stigma um, around mental health, which can then avoid make people avoid or delay getting treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And that exacerbates the issue. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's a lot of the the risk factors that can come up. Yeah. I think in one of our early episodes, you know, I was looking at some research and it actually said that the statistics for South Asian population that's available in regards to mental health, the numbers are so skewed because, you know, like you said, thanks to the stigma surrounding it people don't even go and seek therapy Mm -hmm. you know so the access itself is uh, kind of stunted Mm -hmm. because of you know access itself is stunted and then it's further you know because of the stigmas that are associated with it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, do you still see that hesitancy in you know um I mean yeah it's still there definitely but I will say that that stigma seems to be lessening or mm-hmm. I agree mm-hmm. yeah, yeah especially you know during and post pandemic yeah. there are a lot more conversations around mental health that are happening mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I think that's helping to decrease stigma and I think there's I mean we were talking about this in another episode I think in season two Shweta this was about you know how how there's a lot more open conversations that's happening in mainstream media in South Asian community. There's open conversations that's happening, you know, in the Bollywood circle, Mm -hmm. like movies are being made with just this exact themes. Mm -hmm. And so it's not something that's a taboo topic, at least not in the main urban areas. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very encouraging. So two people can have a conversation and not feel being judged by the other Mm -hmm. person, Mm -hmm. which I think was the more common issues that we were facing. Yeah. Uh, still a lot of work has to be done, but I think it is a very, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. And, you know, you mentioned protective resilience factors as well. Um, there are those within South Asian populations, just, you know, that focus on the importance of community and family. Mm-hmm. That is a huge protective factor, you know, at the same time that it can create certain pressures. It's also, um, I mean, the sense of belonging Mm-hmm. That's a protective factor for suicide. Mm-hmm. So that's really mm-hmm. important. Also, faith, um, people who who have a believing in a certain faith, right? A lot mm-hmm. of Indian people have that. South Asian people gives us higher, a sense of higher purpose and meaning to life. Mm-hmm. 
So those are protective factors. Mm. I think at the more and more the families are becoming nuclear, mm. I think that is where I think we're seeing a lot more of these mental health issues, mm. right? So, you know, it, it takes a village. And I think in, in India, um, there's a lot more of this. They used to be, I think, at least a lot more of this, the family, the extended family, the big fa- family kind of taking care of one another. But I think we're getting a little bit I mean, more and more nuclear. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're seeing these mental health issues come up in much younger age groups where, like you just said, like faith is such an important thing, you know, having some kind of, um, you know, some anchor, anchor, yeah. correct. Mm-hmm. Grounding. I think that's mm-hmm. what no, we're kind of seeing less and less of that these days. And I think that that's why probably there is a little bit more of that rise. But like you said, South Asian community is really a little bit still there. I think with those anchors still Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, largely in place that's helping yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and now to an exciting topic (laughs) something that you know (laughs) i connect with deeply Mm -hmm. so uh, like you know i was mentioning you know we met through dance and all of that recently you um you know had a performance at the tank in new york city as part of the international human rights arts festival called the mosaic and medicine and i was reading on the website it was described as a collection of pieces narrating lived embodied experiences of how the body is judged loved recovers and changes so talk us through what this piece was because it was centered around mental health and the process behind it mhm yeah um so that that program was um i i presented two pieces and both were drawing from themes of mental health mm-hmm. and um the first piece that i did it was called in the strength of stillness and it was really um trying to create a feeling of mindfulness in people, um, in the audience. And Mm -hmm. so, um, the piece was done mostly in silence. Mm. So increasing mindfulness essentially, um, for those who may not know is essentially helping your attention go to where you want it to go. Mm -hmm. And it is a, um, a self-regulation of attention And so the piece was done mostly in silence and, you know, with slow movements at times even to encourage that sense of focus Mm -hmm. and also to have people sit in silence, you know, Mm -hmm. to sit in the discomfort of silence and whatever that brings up, which is, you know, that's a, a factor of mindfulness and meditation as well. So so that was was um one of the pieces mm-hmm. and the second piece I did was a a new piece that I just created this fall mm-hmm. and it's called cognitions mm-hmm. so this one very much draws from my work in cognitive behavioral therapy and it is a reflection of the different qualities of thoughts that we have that create our realities and can lead us to distress. Mm -hmm. Um, Within cognitive behavioral therapy, the premise is that we all have different thoughts, feelings, behaviors, physical sensations even that connect together and create our experience. And so our thoughts, within our thoughts, we can create our own distress, right? Right. So um, the different qualities of thoughts that um, I did the piece with uh, a cellist, we worked together, Emily Kendo, 
And she represented thoughts um, through her music. Mm. And we demonstrated, you know, intrusive thoughts, cognitive distortions, racing thoughts, um, all of these things that can really create distress and struggle. And the idea behind it, you know, near the end is having those intrusions and distortions of our thoughts come up and allowing them to be there without letting them control you, what you do. And so continuing to, in the dance piece, move Mm. unaffected by, you know, those thoughts and, Mm. um, yeah, continuing to move move towards your goals despite what you're hearing in your head. That that's very interesting because um, I actually was watching. There's a documentary on mindfulness on Netflix, and I was watching that. And that this is exactly actually how they described mindfulness. You mm-hmm. know, because everyone when we first start meditating, especially you know, people are very. Uh, you you think you need to have like a clear mind and you're meditating, but thoughts just keep coming. So the the uh, the narrator in the documentary he actually says it's like you're sitting on the side of the highway Mm. and you're just watching these cars go by you're watching the clouds go by all of these are your thoughts Mm -hmm. but you don't need to react judge do anything just watch them go by Mm -hmm. and you know just be in what you you know whether it's your breath or whatever it is just stay right there and you can watch it go by you don't have to stop it you know One one visual I really like is um kind of and I use this in the piece is almost like seeing your thoughts as like a movie reel, you mm-hmm. know, it's just kind of going by and you're you're seeing it go by and yeah, just creating less attachment to our thoughts and less control having them control us less. Mm-hmm. Observing, being the observer of thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, being an observer. Yeah. Cause it takes me back because I could not meditate for the longest time because of that because I'd be like shh why are you thinking why I would like try to like you know shush my thoughts and the more you do that you know like the more thoughts just keep coming exactly and you know exactly like you said the goal is not to empty our minds Mm -hmm. like that's impossible we're human you know we have thoughts Um, but it's more to change the relationship that we have Mm -hmm. with our thoughts Mm -hmm. and create a little bit more distance Mm -hmm. you know and we can choose to um, to follow the ones that serve us and our goals and our values. And we can choose to, you know, distance from the ones that don't. Yeah. But you know, of course, that's a process. Yeah, it's a lifelong process mm-hmm. for sure. Okay, so before we end the show, uh, Dr. Shah, would you like to share where people can get in touch with you and your website and details? And we'll add all, obviously add all of that to our show notes as well. Sure. So my website is drmonicashah.com. Uh, D-R-M-O-N-I-C-A-S-H-A-H. Um, and then Instagram, um, I'm at Monsha Dance. Um, so that's where you can find me. Amazing. Thank you so much for this amazing chivization. We just learned so much and uh, it's, it's just beautiful. And uh, kudos to all the work you're doing. And I hope you find more, uh, you know, uh, mediums to kind of bring mental health and movement together. And I hope I get to catch your show soon. (laughs) Next time for sure. Yes, there will be some this year. So I'll keep you posted. (laughs) This is so exciting. And I learned so much from uh, just this conversation, Monica. So uh, inspiring, I would like to say. And at the same time, quite informative. So thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Thank you. Thank you both so much. For real. Until next time, everyone. 
we'll see you in another episode. So bye. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as we did. Please let us know what you think. It means the world to us. Yes, and join the Triversation on our social media channels where we discuss the many facets of mental health and well-being and share our collective thoughts. If there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, write to us at chibreakpodcast at gmail.com or DM us on our Instagram account. Bye.